Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the series that we're doing on the ministry of encouragement. We're in, uh, in our 11th week, and uh, I have a couple left after this, I believe, to sort of wrap it up. And You know, my, my hope is that, that this ministry of encouragement is something that we all do. That when the series goes away, that the ministry doesn't. And so we've taken a lot of time to lay out a foundation to uh, explain the necessity of the ministry, the calling of God on the church to embrace the ministry. We've looked at how the church has kind of moved away from it. We we have seen uh, the evidence for the need uh, that we live in a in a very fearful, self-focused kind of world right now, and that we are to be the bearers of good news and. Uh, to point people towards God and the hope that we have in God. And that that uh, too often we just fall into the same fear that the culture has. And that uh, even in our discussions sometimes we can, we can hear, if, you, if we listen, that we're just like the culture, talking about all the fears around us instead of um, always remembering that, that we have God in the equation of our lives. And that uh, God wants us to share this whole concept with other people. And, and out of that idea comes the ministry of encouragement. And so we, we took four weeks to set up a biblical foundation. We took five weeks to talk about the encourager's truth, which is the tools we have to embark on the ministry and, and the, the truth that sets people free. And we, we use that acronym to talk about right thinking, thinking, recognizing, understanding, talking, and helping. And that that's our, our mind, our ears, our, our mind, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, and our hands. And that these are the tools we have to embrace this ministry. And we are ending up in this series by talking about some of the models that we have to look at in the Scripture of people that understood the power of the ministry of encouragement. Last week we talked about Barnabas, the son of encouragement, and and how he was able to operate in this ministry, and, and through it, lots of people came to the Lord. And, and then we looked at, at some specific examples of people that he dealt with and spoke to and encouraged who went on to do some pretty amazing things, one of them being the Apostle Paul, and the other being John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark. And today I want to talk about um, how Jesus... Uh, models for us the ministry of encouragement and and in particular how he demonstrates the healing power of encouragement in people's lives to change and transform them now before we get there let me just remind you and i'll continue to do this and we're 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 coming up with some ways to keep this in the forefront of everything that's going on um and do you know i had some cards i wanted to give you tonight are they out there uh, here, I'm going off camera, but I'm coming right back, camera. Don't panic. These, these little cards are in the back, on the back table. And uh, the little card just says on it, have you been thankful for five things today? Remember, I've been encouraging you to make a card. And I finally thought, okay, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take it another step and make you the cards. And so they're on the back table, all right? And, and I want you to take one of these cards on your way out. 
I didn't make them stickers because I thought it would be easier for you to use a piece of tape because the sticker will stay forever. And tape it somewhere where you can see it first thing in the morning. Because this, this, this is sort of the, the main deal. If we don't get this, really the rest of the ministry doesn't click into place. Because we have to change our perspective. And this little card says, have you been thankful for five things today? That's all it says on it. Have you been thankful for five things today? And you have to start there. So put this somewhere. I've suggested, you know, the bathroom mirror. And then beyond that, if you don't like that, put it on the refrigerator because you'll go there. Put it on the coffee pot because, you, you know, a lot of you will go there. Um, wh- whatever it takes. Put it on the steering wheel of your car. Anywhere that you'll see it and, and that it'll make you stop and take a little bit of time to do just this. So it all starts with that. So these cards are on the back. I'm going to give it back to you in a minute. Uh, so start with that, all right, and, and make that a part of your life. Now, I've said that, that having done that, then I want you to really work on encouraging two people every day. And so, um, and we talked about how. We've already talked about some of the how-tos. And I, I said start small, start at home. Uh, it's a great place to embark on any ministry. Minister to the people in your closest relationships, uh, family and friends. Start just encouraging them. They need it. And it's a great way to see how it works. And, and, and so embark on this ministry, but start with this, five things every day. All right, we have more stuff coming to you in the weeks ahead because we really want you to embrace this and keep up with it and, and work on it. All right? And so, so start with this. Cards are in the back. Take one. If you're not in this habit yet, develop the habit. Five things that you're thankful for. All right. Encourage two people. The other thing I've asked you to do is to memorize a little scripture. And maybe it doesn't seem that little to you because it's Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And, and, and so those verses um, are, are something that I think you need to have deep inside you so that as we embark on this ministry and when we come up against, um, you know, any, any sort of bump in the road or anything that the enemy might try and throw against us, um, that, that the Holy Spirit can quicken these verses to you and that they'll be very helpful to keep you engaged and moving forward in the ministry of encouragement. And so if you haven't started learning them yet, start now. It's not too late. Start memorizing those verses. I'd encourage you during this season, uh, during this series, to do it a week at a time. But still do that. If you haven't done it, do it a week at a time. Start with the beginning. But you should be able to speak when you need to those verses. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. These verses are, are foundational to this ministry. And again, I want to encourage you to learn them. Once you've got them in, you see, then you can really think about them. You can meditate on them. You can, you can sort of mull over them and, and what they mean and, and what it looks like. And, and there's some powerful stuff in there 
I mean, think about it. We have confidence to enter the most holy place. We can, we can go right into the very throne room of the living God. And, and because we have this great priest, Jesus, who's made a way for us. And, 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 you know, all those things can help us to overcome the discouragement and the fear that seems to be all around us. So I, I, I encourage you to memorize those verses, to be thankful every day for five things. That's pretty simple, really. And to encourage two people. And that, that my full belief is that if we'll embrace this simple ministry, we will significantly impact the world from this little place. I fully believe that. And, and I'm looking forward to see what happens as we, as we take it on. So that's what we've been up to so far. And like I said, today I want to talk about um, how the Lord operated in the ministry of encouragement. And uh, in particular, we're going to look at the healing power of encouragement to change and transform lives. And so the first thing that I need you to consider today is this, that all of us are spiritually sick. We're all spiritually sick. Um, and if you wonder what I'm talking about, all of us suffering from the sickness of sin. It's, uh, it's, it's a very real thing in our lives. Mark 2, 16 and 17 says, When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him, Jesus, eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And the bottom line deal of all this, and we'll look at some other scriptures, see, he's, he's, uh, all of us, are the ones that he's come for because we're not righteous apart from him. Um, anything that we think is a righteousness that comes apart from uh, Jesus is a self-righteousness, and that's not it at all. And that we need to be aware of this idea that um, that the only way we can be healed from this sickness that we suffer is through the cross. It's only through Jesus that, that we can be healed. None of us is good enough in our own strength. Um, we can never um, uh, try hard enough or perform well enough to be righteous apart from Jesus. And, and, and yet, what happens is that we, we sort of begin to forget that and we become very judgmental and critical of others and their sin. You know, why are we so quick to focus on the way people dress or talk or act? Why do we uh, decide to focus on, on certain sins and let others seem to kind of slip off the radar? Uh, why do we sometimes act like contact um, with people that, that we label sinners is something that needs to be avoided as though they might infect us when, when the reality is we're already infected? And, and the only difference is that in Christ, um, we have found the ultimate cure. Not that we're no longer presently impacted by the disease of sin, disease of sin and its symptoms, but through Christ, it's, it's no longer ultimately fatal for us. And, and so, this is a realization we have to come to in our lives. And the church is supposed to be a place where diseased people can find the cure, not a place where they're judged because they're sick. 
And this is a, a transition that we have to make because we, we often get stuck in this other process. Um, that doesn't mean that, that we don't have biblical moral standards as the church because we, we certainly do. It just means that our focus needs to be helping sin-sick people meet the cure, not get consumed with pointing out their disease. And, and there's a difference that we need to be aware of. And, and it will impact the way that we relate to people around us. And see, that's where the healing power of encouragement comes in. That's the second point. And, and so what we need to do is we have to first take that last point on. And a lot of people will resist it. That we're spiritually sick. We, we, we're sinners saved by grace. But, but still dealing with the process. And that, it, it, you know, it's only as the Holy Spirit ultimately leads us and guides us that we begin to have some breakthroughs. But there's always issues. I don't know anybody that's arrived. Um, and, and that includes all of you. Sorry. I don't even know some of you that well. And I know you haven't arrived. Um, because we just haven't yet. And, and, and so we, we have to make sure we stay aware of that in our relating to other people. Or we'll become self-righteous. And rather than helping people that are sin-sick find the cure and meet Jesus, we'll judge them and push them away. And so uh, we need to understand the healing power of encouragement. And, and again, I, I want to use Matthew seven twelve. I know I brought that up a lot, but it's an important verse in this whole idea. So in everything, uh, uh, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Um, you know, do you want people to judge you for the place where you struggle, the places in your life that you struggle? Is that how you want to be known? Is that what you, how you want to be labeled? Um, do you want to be labeled by your mistakes, your errors in judgment? Uh, do you want your sin to be your namesake? I don't think so. And, and since we wouldn't want that, we shouldn't treat others that way. And, and we need to be aware of this process. And so once we get a hold of this idea that we're all impacted spiritually by sin, uh, we're, we're spiritually diseased at some level, um, at, at that point it should be easier for us to put down our microscope of judgment and, and begin to start seeing people the way that Jesus does. And we, we've talked about that at some um, points along the way, but we, we really need to get a hold of this concept and, and, and so we, we, we want to start seeing people the way that Jesus does, the way that we would like to be seen. And, and that has to become operational in our lives. So, so during his physical ministry here on the earth, when Jesus would look at someone, he was fully aware of their sin and the sin in their lives. And yet he chose not to make that the focus. See, that's really important. He chose not to make it the focus. Instead, he would look at and for the good in people, the potential people had, and he would focus on that. You've probably heard this expression, what you see is what you get. Everybody's heard that, right? And it is, it is basically true, but, but it's, it's significantly impacted by what you're looking for. What you see is what you get, but the difference is what you're looking for. And what are you looking for when you look at people? And, and so there's these three encounters that Jesus has. He has a lot more, but there's three that I want to talk about in our, the few moments that we have left. And, and, and see demonstrated 
in his encounters with people this amazing healing power of encouragement. The first encounter that we'll talk about is with an, uh, an adulterer, uh, someone caught in adultery. John 8, 1 through 11, uh, and I want to read these verses to you, says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started right on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and rode on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So, you know, in, in, in just a quick synopsis of this story, Jesus has settled down to teach. He's begun to teach. And the Pharisees, who are out to try and trap and kill Jesus, uh, introduce this woman that they've caught in the act of adultery. Um, and, and, you know, they don't care about this woman at all. They're just trying to trap Jesus. And they, they bring Jesus, this woman, and they, they pose this question to him. The law tells us to stone her. What do you say? They're just trying to get him to say something they can take action on. And Jesus um, stoops down. He begins to write something in, in the sand. And he stands up and he says, okay, here's the deal. Let the, the, whoever of you is without sin cast the first stone. I love that it says the older ones walked away first, followed by the younger, because they realized they had way more sin in their lives. They had more opportunities. So they all walk away. And then Jesus speaks to this woman. Now, here's, here's the deal. And I, I know a lot of people, when they start thinking about these verses, um, a lot of people spend, uh, I think, is an inordinate amount of time um, postulating on what Jesus wrote in the sand. And nobody knows. So, and I believe everybody has their own pet theory. You've heard a teaching on it you like or something. But nobody knows. What he, was, he could have been paying tic-tac-toe for all we know. We don't know what he was doing. But I don't think that's the most important part in the story. I think the most important part of the story is, is not what Jesus wrote, but what Jesus saw. Because, see, he, here's the deal. All the religious leaders and, and the people in the crowd looked at the woman, and they, they, all they had for her was disgust and disdain. See, when they looked at her, all they could see was her sin, her impurity. But Jesus, when he looked at her, saw something completely different. He saw something beautiful. And, and see, this is how we need to begin to look at people. Now, does the way that Jesus responded to her in any way say that sin isn't a big deal? And the answer to that is absolutely not. But what he does is gives her the encouragement to change and to grow into the person that God has created her to be. And, and to, to move past the label of adulterer to child of God. See, and unless you can see past the sin in people to the beauty of their potential, 
you'll never be able to encourage them to go and leave their life of sin. You just won't. What would they leave it for? What would be the point? But Jesus was able to, to speak to her and, and, and encourage her to become the person of God that she'd been created to be. And, and the, the encouragement would enable her to change and to make the, make the shift, to live differently. See, and it, it all has to do with what he saw. And we need to see people differently. And, and he has this tremendous ability to do that. Uh, in a, another encounter, this time with a tax collector. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. A guy named Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy need, doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, um, with Matthew, we might not understand the, the full wrath that the people of Israel had against tax collectors. Because while we might not be big fans of, of, of tax collectors, we, we don't ostracize them um, the way that the, the Jewish community did. Uh, if, if someone were a tax collector, they would be considered really the scum of the society. They would rather hang around with murderers than tax collectors. And the reason was is because they, they felt like the tax collectors had sort of sold themselves to the highest bidder. They'd sold out their national pride, their national heritage, and their people uh, to work for the uh, enemy and to place this heavy burden on their lives. And so tax collectors were ostracized. They weren't allowed in the synagogues. They, uh, uh, any respectable religious person wouldn't have a tax collector in their home. So, so they just, it didn't happen. So when, when Matthew's not real apostle material to what most people would think Jesus needed to be getting to, to follow him, and yet Jesus sees the potential in Matthew. And, and that's why when Matthew has a party, all that's there is tax collectors and others because that's all, that's all they had to hang out together. And, and the self-righteous folks came along and said, what are you doing hanging out with these people? And Jesus is like, these are the people that, that we're supposed to be hanging with. They're the ones that need to know that God loves them so they can change. Um, and, you know, he would tell the self-righteous people they needed that too, but they wouldn't hear him. And so he's, he's there with them. And, 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 and Jesus calls Matthew, and the amazing thing is that, that as Jesus calls Matthew and encourages him to change, he does. And, and ultimately, Matthew would write a letter to his countrymen that was a beautiful defense and reasoning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that little book happens to be part of a bestseller called the Bible, is known as the Gospel of Matthew. And, and, and this tax collector, the, the, the scum, rose to the place in the encouragement of Jesus where he could sit down and write this letter that has stood the test of thousands of years under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit leading countless people to Christ along the way.
And one of the things I love about the story of Matthew, the tax collector, who was ostracized until Jesus called him, was that there's a verse in Matthew that only Matthew records Jesus saying. It's not in any of the verses. And it's Matthew 11:28. And this is what Matthew remembers and writes. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, do you get how powerful that is in the context of the one who wrote it? Of one who was ostracized by society, and yet at the call of Jesus, was changed and encouraged and found rest? Who, When Jesus spoke those words, they resonated with Matthew so strongly because he understood what it meant. See, this is the power of encouragement to heal and to change and to transform lives. One last encounter before we close. And this is with a fisherman. And, and uh, it, it's really all about Peter. And in Mark 1, 16 and 17, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, Peter is an interesting character. I've always sort of I got a kick out of Peter um, because I think he's, he's a lot like many of us are. And that, that Peter, um, he, he catches on real quick, but then he says a lot of things that he shouldn't say. Any of you ever do that? Um, he, he's sort of up and down and in and out and around, and he's just very, I think, normal. And yet again, probably not what you would think of as apostle material. And yet, here's this very rough fisherman, and, and Jesus says, come on, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter, Peter says, okay. Jesus sees something in Peter that most people wouldn't see. Immediately, off the bat, he changes his name to, to Rock, as, as, as speaking of his character as someone that would really get it. And yet, um, Peter's... Ministry is is very real, and that he doesn't always get it. Like, like there's a point when when Jesus says to his disciples, "What about you?" In Mark eight twenty nine, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it, and he speaks up for the whole group, and he says, "You're the Christ. You're the Christ of God. You're the Messiah." The the crowds have been saying things like, "Well, you know, you're you're a prophet come back to life, or you're John the Baptist come back to life, or." Or, or, or whatever, but Peter gets it. He gets it. You're Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. And yet, in the very next sentence, in Mark 8, 2, 32 and 33, Jesus begins talking, and, and it says, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus was saying he, he had to die. And, and when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter... Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That's a huge change to go from this really high, I got it, to get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Don't you get it? And, and, and yeah, that's what he experienced. And see, that, that was Peter. He, 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 he reacts like we do. And, and in, in his time with Jesus, that would happen. Um, we know that, that towards the end there, Peter actually denies Jesus three times. Matthew, 
26, 69 through 25, uh, 75. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He, this is Peter. He gets it and, and he blows it. And, and when he does, at this point, towards the end, he's just crushed. He's devastated and he, he just goes. He leaves. Jesus is crucified and then defeats death and raises again. And he comes and begins to encounter once again with his disciples. And, and imagine, because Peter you know, has, has probably heard something's been going on, but Peter didn't know what else to do. So you know what he did in, in his shame and in his mess? He just went back fishing. That's what he did. And even though Peter had said, Jesus had said to him, come on, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he went back to being a fisherman. And Jesus comes and encounters him on the shore in, a, in, a, in a, an amazing story and, and of reconciliation. And then Peter and Jesus have this discussion. And Jesus says this to him in John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead where you, where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. See, now, I hope you see the full circle in that Jesus saw something in Peter and called him with the words, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter does, and he's up and down in his journey, and he blows it at the end. But Jesus specifically restores him and encourages him back into ministry. The reason he asked it three times was that was the amount of the denial. And he's using the healing power of encouragement in Peter's life to bring him back into the ministry that he's destined for. And with the words, follow me, Peter's back in. And shortly thereafter... On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes in, in a powerful way, it's Peter that stands up to speak on behalf of the disciples a message that touches the heart of those there. And 3,000 people are added to the church that come to Christ that day. And see, the reality is of the story that, that Peter did become a fisher of men, just as Jesus had seen in him when they first met. And see, we have to get this figured out, that the ministry of encouragement has the power, not only, as we saw last week, to bring lots of people to Jesus, 
but the power to heal and transform their lives. And so we need to see people the way that God does and encourage them and encourage their potential to grow, to become the children of God that God has created them to be. And, and that's a big part of this ministry, getting past our own self-righteousness and, and seeing people the way that God does so that we can encourage them, we can love them, we can pray for them, we can bless them, we can let them know that there's a God who loves them. And, and that's a significant part of the ministry that God is calling us all to. So I hope you'll think about that this week. And remember those little cards. Be thankful for five things. Pick these up. Get them where you can see them. Start doing this, okay? All right. Well, um, if you're watching by video, thanks for watching. If you're up in Williston, God bless you guys. Um, We'll see you soon, and they'll pray for you there. If you're just watching us on the Internet, if you need anything, call us, write us, let us know. We'd be happy to do whatever we can to help you. But we're going to go ahead and pray here tonight as a group and uh, call it an evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for who you are, for your goodness to us, your love 